Recording live from the ARC studios, welcome to the Sustainability Podcast. Our goal is to provide engaging discussions on a broad range of topics regarding cybersecurity, sustainability, supply chain management, plus much more. For more information and to get into contact with us, visit us at arcweb.com. Welcome again to another episode of the Sustainability Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Jim Frazier, Vice President of Smart Cities here at ARC Advisory Group. And I'm thrilled to be joined today by Mohammed Hoda, Director of Sustainability and Carbon Neutrality at Honeywell. Welcome, Mohammed. Hey, Jim. Thank you. All right. How are you doing today? Doing well. Bright and early here. Uh, c- certainly is. Um, well, let's just jump right in. Can you tell us a little bit about, about yourself and in particular how you came to Honeywell and the Carbon Net Neutrality Program? Yeah, um, so I, uh, I'm a mechanical engineer by training and, um, uh, one of the first things that I started my career with was, um, running a, starting up a biogas plant. So I live in Southern California and, um, the area that I live in is uh, near is called Chino. And we used to back in the day have a lot of dairies before all this construction boom happened and they were all moved and all these dairies. So we would collect all this manure, digest it, produce biogas, and turn it into, you know, run engines with it. Um, and, you know, so that was my first intern, that was my internship. And I got into renewable space through that. And then over the years, worked into utilities and then with different energy companies like Siemens, Johnson Controls. And, uh, but during COVID, I got the opportunity to start working on a, uh, Honeywell had a, has a battery storage, you know, what we call it a breakthrough initiative. Basically means like a small business, right? We are trying to build it up. And my job was to go look at how is it feasible to do these battery storage projects and stuff for different customers. I was doing the project development part. Through that, we started, you know, and the years of experience building energy efficiency type of projects and renewable energy projects together all matched up turns into well, Honeywell was starting to plan, we need to do something about carbon neutrality for Honeywell. And with all those project experiences together, they're like, can you help us with it? And, you know, the role was just, I just jumped into it. It was pretty, um, pretty made up role. Like, come on, look, we got to work this out. We got to figure this out. Come on. Uh, we got to, and, uh, I was asked to join and, uh, you know, been here since then. Wow. Uh, that's interesting. You know, um, you know, both, well, carbon net neutrality is a big topic. It's broad. It has lots of definitions, perceptions around it. Um, and I'm, I'm interested, I'm sure our audience is interested in, in that as well as the convergence of the, of that set of philosophies and initiatives with what is a huge multinational organization uh, of Honeywell. With buildings and if, you know all type of industrial facilities, um, mm. and, a, and a huge supply chain. So, can you just touch on that as an introduction before we go and get into any particular details on anything? Right. Yeah, uh, you know, it is very interesting at this point because, in and to your point, generally when we think about carbon neutrality and we think about companies that are oil and gas or chemical plants, we think there are two different. Two different sides of the spectrum, right? We do not think that they're in the same uh, in the same boat. 
and that's you know that says it speaks volumes about where the in where the mindset industrial mindset is going towards. So let me first first define what carbon neutrality is. So for your audience, um, so you know think about us. We are sitting here, right? I have a I have a computer that I have. I you know I'm sitting at my home. I have a cup of coffee. Everything that I use or anybody uses has a carbon impact. Somebody built, made that cup of coffee. Some industry, some plant, somewhere made it. Someone grew that coffee. Someone used the amount of water being used to grow that coffee, right? Everything is a carbon impact. Carbon neutrality is mitigating that impact. How you mitigate is, you know, there are different, many, many ways of doing it, but the medication of that. So within your audience can think about it in their house, right? In their homes, they're sitting there. They're looking around, look at everything you got. Everything has carbon impact. Everything that was made increased the carbon on the planet somehow. Now the question is, how do we mitigate that? Um, there are many, many ways of doing it. Some of them could be as simple as reusing what we have. Other would be recycling. Other would be mitigating your waste. Other would be, where is your power coming from? I, for example, have solar on my rooftop. So, you know, my power comes from, but then what's the carbon impact of those solar panels? Somebody had to make them, right? So understanding all of that and then mitigating that and realizing how long it lasts and what are the effects of it. So um, is where carbon neutrality comes in. So why an industrial customer would be looking at carbon neutrality? So Hollywood is a very conscious company, right? We haven't, we didn't just start doing this. So um, we we um, publish a report, annual report, the Honeywell's ESG report that comes out every year, and uh, it's public information. You can, you know, uh, anybody can search it. Um, that's Honeywell ESG. Honeywell has reduced its carbon footprint by 90% since 2004. So we have been doing it for a while, we have, and that's not just because, oh, we started working smart. It's about being energy efficiency, you know, Figuring out what type of chemicals are we using, and then we go into what's called G, you know, uh, what's the what's the carbon intensity or the carbon effect or the of uh, any product that we use, right? Like, is it a lot? Is it smaller? Is could it could be that some products have a high uh, carbon footprint, while others could have a much smaller carbon footprint or potential, right? Um, could be much smaller, and so there's business optimization, whether it's uh, operations optimization, whether it's big projects, you name it, all of that kind of helps reduce that. Um, so why Honeywell is doing that? It, because we, we realize that as, uh, as the, as citizens of this earth, we need to understand that climate change is really happening. We understand that carbon, um, footprint of humans and everything that you consume has a big effect on it. And now it's time to go towards how do we go and fix that? How do we go and mitigate that? So our quality of life stays where it is while we are able to, we are able to mitigate. And, you know, quite honestly, it can be done. It's just companies like us need to become more and more um, aware of it. So can you perhaps expand a little bit of, about the initiatives um, at you know within Honeywell, and mm. perhaps secondarily um, the challenges and your efforts with the supply chain. 
Yeah, okay. Yeah, so Honeywell made a pledge, um, and this came out, um, I think, uh, a year ago or just about, uh, about a year ago, that we are going to go carbon neutral by 2035. Now, it seems like a long time, but for a large company like us, um, and with the carbon footprint that we have, um, that's for scope one and scope two. Um, so scope footprints can be divided into three different scopes, scope one, two, and three. For you know, audience members who don't know what that is, scope one is anything that we combust within our fence line, more or less. So think about that diesel, gas comes in, you burn it on your burners. Uh, scope one. Scope two would be anything somebody else combusts and bring it to you. So, for example, electricity. The power plant could run on gas, but I'm getting electricity, so it's, you know, scope two. And then in scope three, everything that is produced that we use as a materials, but outside of my fence. So, for example, I truck in, uh, I don't know, iron or metal, right, screws. That's my scope three. Um, so that that basically defines that. Um, Honeywell has directive to become carbon neutral by 2035 because our leaders uh, decided, uh, both Darius and Bimbo decided that that's, you know, we need to do this. Um, and we, it's only 12 years left. It's a very short span of time. That we that. So, and what Honeywell has done is that they have committed to spending um, $50 million a year on internal Honeywell projects where we are going to go and um, find projects within Honeywell, do things within Honeywell to become more carbon neutral. Um, it is very important for us to follow that plan. Um, I am part of uh, Performance Materials and Technology, the PMT group, um, which is one of the silos of Honeywell, uh, if you know, or businesses of Honeywell, if you will. Um, and PMT owns the majority of that uh, footprint, and that is, you know, just because of the nature of our business, right? Uh, we have chemical plants and stuff that have a lot of. Um, so that's why Honeywell is uh, doing this, and then. I think the secondary question was sorry, forgot. Well, no, it was externally in the supply chain. I think you you, yeah. know, you, you touched on that in terms of you know the, your descriptions of scope, uh, you know one, two, and three. Um, can you describe before we get into particulars? Can you describe then how Honeywell has gone about um, choosing what projects to pursue? Um, the size of the project, the number of them, how impactful, um, payback time. Mm. Um, some, in, in, in some of those, can you describe some of those attributes that you, that uh, came into your decision-making process? Yeah, so <clears throat> what's important to understand is cost of carbon. If you don't do anything, what is the cost of carbon to you? So, for example, in the United States, we don't have a carbon tax yet. You know, maybe we'll have it, maybe we won't have it, maybe it'll take some other form or shape. But if you look in Europe, there is a cost of carbon that's attacked. There is a carbon tax, not cost of carbon, a carbon tax that you see at the bottom in some parts of the country. Especially, you know, Europe is leading this, so you'll see in Germany and Belgium and, you know, other parts of the world, other parts quite a bit um, that has... And so when we are making decisions, there's two parts. There is uh, obviously, uh, a very obviously, a financial part of it, right? We are a large company. Our job is to make money. Financial economics play a big role into it. 
The second part is what is carbon? How does it impact us? So we, when I, so when I uh, analyze projects and we build projects, first we are looking at what's the impact of the project, how big it is, right? So, uh, and we look at on our Mac curve, basically, right? So we are looking at where, where does it, what's the, what is the intensity of it in terms of, so intensity of carbon to produce Intensity of carbon per metric, sorry, in dollar per metric, my bad, go back. Carbon, uh, tons of carbon per million dollar revenue. That's the industrial terms, right? So that's, that's how we use it. So whether it's, oh, I have 100 tons of carbon that gets produced by four, five million dollars of revenue generated. Now, the idea is that that needs to become more and more compact. That needs to become more and more agile and more and more efficient. As we go through the years, you should have less carbon for the same amount of dollar. Your denominator needs to stay either where it is at or become, uh, you know, become more. So the whole ratio needs to become more efficient per se. Um, when we look at project, we look at the macro, we look at cost of carbon, then we also look at since I have a goal, I need to be carbon neutral by 2035. And we have our, um, and so we have milestones. I have a 50% milestone that I need to get to by 2030 and then 100% by 2035. So I have a track that I look at my um, emissions based on, like where am I? And wh- what's the path here? And then I build strap on that. And then I see where my projects are going. Um, Macker, um, how much reduction happens. Sometimes it's amazing that you can see um, a very small project and you wouldn't really think of it, but it's processed and you will fix it and all of a sudden you have solved, you have saved so much carbon. It's insane. And I can give you a couple of examples. One of them was that, and that's, I think, would be a good segue into the rest of the conversation here if, if you wanted to, is that we were looking at a small, um, there was a small leak in one of our boilers and not leak off anything, but a, a hole was there that was letting in a lot of air so that it was burning really hot. When it's burning really hot, guess what? It's burning. Natural gas, right? Mm-hmm. Our fix was less than a thousand bucks or something like that, some random, very small number, and it saved us over $100,000 of natural gas a year. It was just that small. That converts into carbon. And even though it might not have a big impact in terms of the grand scheme of things, but these are things that we have to keep in mind um, that can really change the, you do 10 of those and all of a sudden you, you know, you're, you, you have them, you, you, you are, you're, you do hundred of those, you are a million. You know, it's not that hard to do these small things. But, but Mohammed, from, from a planning perspective, I think, you know, your, your introduction to this section was where we do some you know, large impactful projects. Yeah. <clears throat> But it's interesting that when when you bring up your first example, it's one that probably came in over the transom Mm. that was not planned. That's right. Um, So we have so we don't have planned projects because in general, think everybody thinks about like, oh, you're going to go do sustainability. What's the first thing that comes to mind? Solar. Everybody just goes like, oh, solar. Yeah, I just that's part of it. That's a big part of it, right? But when we look at, so we build straps, so we look at projects that would go from um, on-site generation, energy efficiency, off-site generation. It could be PPAs or VPPAs. We look at that. It could be, um, it would be 
putting VFTs on our motors. It would be process optimization. It would be looking into the future and be like, hmm, does hydrogen make sense for us? Uh, maybe, you know, at some point, as you can see, that hydrogen hasn't really penetrated the market completely yet, but things are getting ready. Um, if you saw the news recently out of Europe, they're trying to build this hydrogen line from North Africa into the into Europe. And, uh, you know, so it's coming. We are working on projects where we, when we are changing stuff, we are trying to make sure our equipment is hydrogen ready. So we are forward thinking, putting things in place, doing these analysis, um, understanding what happens, coming to conferences like ARC to understand what is going on really in the industry. And the last part of it is digitalization. We are trying to understand data. If we don't know data properly, then we can't really build. So we build data projects, basically data analytic projects, that leads to other projects, submetering, uh, any number of things. So we are looking at all of this, and we build a strap based on that. But at the same time, we also keep in mind that there are process optimization and fugitive emissions type of issues that happen all the time, and we need to dig into those to find um, savings that come out. Does that make sense? Like, you know, there's a whole there's a one path. There's such a multitude of paths that we have to follow through. It does. It does. And you, um, you know, you, you touched on your milestones for, for, uh, 2030 and, and 2035. Can you explore some of the mile markers or progress checks you have on some of your larger projects and how do you know you're staying on track? Oh, it's a larger project. That's a tough one. Um, so yeah, so how we look through projects is depending on the type of project. So we basically have a strap planning that looks into the three or four future three years. We start looking at it, and then if we are looking at larger, big projects, you know, call it, uh, that's, uh, and what we would do is first step becomes that, okay, how much money are we going to spend in engineering design, especially if it's a large, complicated project? We need to understand the regulations now with IRA and all that. What are the benefits? Can we get some benefits out of the government? Is there other stuff that we can work on? That's the first step. We start, we have a quorum of team that builds in. So my team is there and the people within um, Honeywell, maybe, um, who have a product. We at Honeywell are very cautious that if Honeywell has a product, we should be confident enough to use it on our, our facilities, our critical facility. If we sell it to customers, we should be able to use it ourselves and be confident that it works. And so a lot of pilot programs and stuff happens at our facility. Um, so we build the, do the engineering design, uh, come up with like what the map looks like, who needs to be involved in it. Um, and it's a very different piece, you know, different set of skill sets. So you have project managers, you have project developers, you have, uh, engineering, this process chemical engineers, and you have mechanical engineers who come into it. And because it's sustainability, energy engineers and sustainability engineers get involved. Initially we have that. And then we go and it gets handed over to the ops, it gets into the funding process. So, we will go through whether our uh, it's a large project, I suppose, big money is involved, right? So it goes up all the way to the chain, to the finance, and then we go, we, you know, they are confident in the in the effect of this project and in the decision-making process, carbon is central. It's not just about payback, but what is the carbon reduction? What's the impact of carbon? Is carbon being reduced or not? You know, because we are trying to get towards a goal. Um, that's the time sensitive goal, right? I have to reduce carbon. You might not make the most, uh, 
uh, investment sense per se, like where the finance looks at, suppose if they're doing a growth project, they're looking at, oh, must pay back in three years or four years. Sustainability comes into play. Now that's, that's a little, now you can stretch it a bit. Um, so we do that and then we go into the implementation and work with different sites. The site leaders now need to understand how this will affect their site, um, the depreciation that they'll have to carry, the O&M costs, um, where is it going to be installed? How does it change the infrastructure of the site? These sites are very important, right? They're chemical, they're, mm-hmm. uh, basically, if, are you going to take down the site? I don't know. Are you going to complicate the site even more? You got to look at all of that and then the coming of it, obviously. So, um, you know, this is a, a complex issue. Um, I'm sure you've, uh, found some obstacles and challenges along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, bef- before we talk about how you've innovatively uh, surmounted those, what uh, spend some time, please, on what are the challenges? Right. Um, so it is a complicated issue, and it is not a one. It's not a cookie cutter approach that can be taken. That's the first thing that we need to understand. Um, whether it's in um, and so, and also at this stage where we are, industrial mines, industrial domain per se. So if you, we look at the whole world, basically residential, commercial, industrial, agricultural, all of that, right? So industrial domain, chemical plants, oil and gas, uh, manufacturing facilities, what have you, are kind of new to this. They are trying to figure this out. They are, they, you know. I would say, I would argue that commercial facilities are a bit ahead. So if you still go on, um, <clears throat> you go on your Google, you would say you know, carbon neutral since 2007 or something like that. Well, yeah, you have office building and servers and you need power, right? It's much easier to do, somewhat easier to do. But when you look at industrial facilities and you go, okay, I make chemicals or I make oil and gas, which by default increases carbon footprint, right? I am working in a refinery. How do you neutral carbon become carbon neutral there? That's the complicated part. So it's being figured out. One of the biggest challenges of that is to understand what is your footprint? How do you, you know, what's your footprint like? What does it matter? Like a lot of people don't understand that. And that means quantification of not just the energy that you buy and burn and use, but quantification of the material that you have, quantification of your processes. If you are at a, at a place where if you have a line, think about this. If you have a line and you have flanges in it and you have you know, angles in it and you have all these things that are in a gas line, for example, any kind of gas, just think about it. It's not just natural gas. Think about whatever, you know, chemical plants or whatever you have. If there is a place where things connect, likely things leak. Right, it's just just the nature of thing. It is just uh, you can minimize it to the greatest extent, but at the same time, be cognizant of it that it will likely leak. That is fugitive emissions, right? How do you quantify that? How do you know what's leaking? How how do you figure that out? Or what is your process supposed to make sure that you don't have a big um, leak situation? For example, you. You make some you make some product and then you're putting it on a rail car or something like that, or you're putting it in cylinders. The process of 
putting it in a completely different equipment, what does that mean? Is, does that mean there are leaks associated with that? How seamless, seamless is the approach, right? What are your valves doing? Are they stuck? What's the O&M plan around it? Does somebody go and check it all the time? Does it, there people, are there somebody measuring it? What is happening? Quantification, I think, is a major issue of understanding where you stand. Um, because if you don't know where you stand, it's kind of hard because you don't have your baseline. It's kind of hard where you're going to go. So a company can be like, I want to be carbon neutral by 2030, but if you 2050 or whatever the number is. So at Honeywell, I, I make sure that is a very solidly followed plan. We know exactly where we are at. And we are spending, you know, investing in things that give us better ideas of it. We are doing projects where we understand it. Um, well, we are trying to move away from any estimation towards measurement. So that's a big change, the shift estimated. The DOE and EPA, they all, all give you a average industry standard. Oh, if you have a flange, make sure, you know, take the, use the number 900 metric tons per year or some random number, right? And then you multiply it by a thousand flanges that you have and all of a sudden you go like, oh my God, that's the carbon footprint. That, that's how much I'm leaking. And maybe, maybe not. Maybe you're leaking less. Maybe you're leaking more. Who knows, right? But I think it's very important that we go from estimating to measuring. Um, and that is, it's, I think that's one of the big challenges. And second challenge, like I mentioned, because the industrial domain is new to this, understanding of what needs to happen is also new. It is not a, it's not, you know, in commercial buildings, if you think about it, I worked in that industry quite a while. If you really look at the high level, it's HVAC, controls, lighting. You have these three things done and, you know, refrigeration, to, you know, at some places. If, but HVAC covers it more or less. If you have these three, you're good. You go to industrial facilities, there's no, there's no such thing like that. You gotta figure out every facility, you know, maybe by a chemical plant, but then to Honeywell's chemical plant will likely look completely different than some, a Dow's chemical plant. You know, it, it's going to be two different things, so you gotta figure it out. Um, but site by site must be figured out. And, um, so digitalization is a big issue, understanding of our plants, or, cause also, it's a, I think it's a niche skill that's getting developed more and more as we go through industrial energy engineers, people who understand because energy engineers typically generally can be mechanical or electrical stuff. But when you are industrial going into it, you need to be chemical. You need to understand the chemical processes. Because if you don't understand that, then that's going to be tough for chemistry of it. Well, Mohammed, since you, um, uh, describe your focus on that shift from estimating to measuring. I'm obligated to ask you to uh, talk about that and, uh, a, a little bit more. Um, in, in your example of you know, many pipe fittings, uh, you know what exactly do you do there? Does technology help you? Is it a, is it a question of a multitude of IoT sensors? Is it AI on your databases? Um, spend some time. Informing our audience about that. It's, it's, it, it, it the technology, it, digitalization and implementation and integration of technology into industrial sector per se is imperative. So think about what's an average age of a refinery or a oil or, 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 or a chemical plant in the United States, like 40, 50 years. Just think about, you know, you, what's the controls that was there 40, 50 years ago? Has it been approved, right? Has it been, 
where they're standing, right? So it's it's a question like if we are thinking that oh man, all these facilities have been upgraded because they have digitized because the industry the world has, then you know we are being a little naive. That's not how it works. People people who run the plant really know how to run the plant. They are amazing at it. Right, but that's what they know how to do it. They, you know, they are very good at it. You can go and I, I can go to any of my plants, uh, you know, who are the plant leaders and ask questions and I will have no clue and they will have be the wealth of knowledge. Right. But then you go tell them, okay, but now we need to become carbon neutral. And that is, that's just like, yeah, what, how, you know, that's a new concept now. What I, what we have seen is that, um, in terms of digitalization is that we, when we go from estimating to measuring, um, what has started happening is that not only are we seeing a reduction, it could be reduction, but you know, we need to be careful about it. If we are seeing that our process becomes more optimized. So just think about this. So suppose you are, you have your facility and you're getting some hundred, a hundred thousand, uh, SCFM of natural gas that comes in and it's going and you have all your equipment submitted. You have boilers, you have whatever, wherever you use them. And you measure all of that and you go like, huh, I'm only using 90,000 of it. Where does 10,000 go? Now you're looking at like, then you can, you can be like, okay, I'm losing 10,000. Where is it going? And you go investigate and you find that, oh, I guess there's a leak or a hole or something. Um, and then that's that. And then, also, you have four boilers, suppose. Each of them are about the same age, same size, something like that. And you know they're... If, but boiler number three, for some example, instead of using 20,000 SCFM that it should be using, it's using 25 or 30. Why would it be using more than every other boiler? Obviously, it's not as efficient. So there is an issue that has either already happened in the boiler that needs to be fixed, but that we don't know about. Or an issue that's coming. So now you are not only going into carbon part, but you're also going to the reliability of assets. Right? Because now you can go figure out, remember that, uh, you can figure out from data analytics that something is coming up here. And then you go figure out, like the same example with us, we looked at data and we realized that why is this boiler running so hot? Why is it using more gas? And we go and we're like, oh, it's not that there's leaking gas, it's uh, too much air is coming in. And that was exactly what happened, and you go fix that. So now, and so it's sub-metering, it is a bunch of sensors, but then sensors are as good as they are calibrated. So what is the O&M plans to go fix that, right? If you're getting bad data, bad, it's, you know, and garbage in, garbage out. It's simple as that, right? And then you look at all of that, and you put it all together, and you have a plan that is not only going to make your plant more sustainable, per se, reduce your footprint, maybe, it is going to give you a better idea of how you're operating, um, where are your um, where are your loopholes that your operation you know is messing up, and or is how is it not optimized, how well your equipment is operating, and are they efficient enough, or are they getting to end of their life? Maybe they need maintenance, maybe they need a different you know what have you. But so now you're looking into reliability and resiliency of your plant, and you're looking into sustainability. It all becomes sort of becomes a plan. And that's where, um, that's where my mind is going. That's where I want to go towards, you know, getting digitalized, finding all these little places, looking at data all the time, have an AI system that's looking at it, validating my data, 
Right now, a lot of places, people look at, they have numbers that they get from either they calculate, they measure, whatever they do, like with a handheld or a device and stuff, and then they, they fat finger into a database. Well, I, you know, fat fingered a, a, a zero by mistake, and <laughs> that's it, right? And you, then you go and uh, you have to validate the numbers, and digitalization of it would take that part out. Validation would become easier. Looking at numbers will become easier, and the future planning becomes easier. I think uh, as we are seeing with everything else, it's 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 a good thing in the direction that we are going with the industrial facilities. Um, but a lot more work in digitalization needs to be done, and I think that's a big one of the biggest obstacles in our. Uh, I I think that that is out there right now with the. Uh, because, like I said, industrial facilities are sort of older. This hasn't penetrated completely. Um, but once it does, I think we will make a big, big changes into how we run the facilities and all that should start using it. Well, as I said, my, you know, my, my follow-up question was to be how to surmount those challenges. But I, but I think you answered it with uh, digitalization. Yeah. I think yeah. is the, is the answer. I, I, absolutely, I think this is major. Like you know, you can because once we have data, then you can look at that data and focus on what can we do with that baseline. Because data sets your baseline; it tells you where you're sitting, and then you can compare it to whether you have 20 facilities, right? There's they do similar work. Suppose you could have a facility that's in U.S. that does produces product X, and you have a facility in, in Asia that is also producing the same product X. And you can look at the data and then you can compare which facility works how. And then you can not just look into equipment, but you can also look at the operations procedure. How are they working in Asia, for example, in Vietnam? And how are they working in the United States? What's the difference? What is the intensity of the product? That What's the carbon intensity or monitor intensity of the product that's being produced? <clears throat> and how can we go towards the better? Which one is the better, right? It could, it could be either. Um, what are the protocols that are implemented? It will be at a site level. I mean, my plan at a higher grandeur level would be that at some point, and we are working towards it, we have dashboards and stuff, is where I can granularly sit. I can sit and I can look at my footprint in North America in real time and in Asia in real time, other places in real time, and I can go to a site and see its data and figure out what are the issues that are happening um, just by data analytics and then focus target on facilities and issues so that I can create projects that are more targeted than, you know, like, oh, I have to go run and do an audit and stuff like that, you know, automate that part of it. What's interesting to me is that, uh, er, you know, early in engineering school, I remember a professor saying to me very early, it might have been in the first course or two, that if you can't measure it, it doesn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. You just get, you know, yeah, if you can't measure it, it's how, how you just don't know. And now, now, you know, we, we have to figure out, especially because an examples of fugitive emissions, this is one of the simplest things is just leaks everywhere happening. And think about it, just any refinery or any chemical plant, suppose they have these, chemicals running through it, and they have big uh, carbon footprint. The chemical itself has the high um, 
uh, high car, you know, carbon intensity that it can have. It's running through these plants, and you don't know how much what well, it's carbon, how much carbon you're leaking. And secondly, that carbon translates directly into the material, which translates into dollar. So if you're losing it, the companies, this is just bottom line. And if you don't, if it's just going to the air or it's going to the ground, wherever it's leaking, first you're polluting. Second part is, just, is that's dollars. That's money that the company is losing. Um, if we can minimize that, it's a win-win on both sides. So, so Mohammed, <clears throat> clearly Honeywell is well down the path of, of getting to net uh, carbon net neutrality, uh, and I'm and I'm sure they will hit the hit those those milestones. Uh, you know, what recommendations do you have for others that might be you know earlier in their in their um, path to carbon net neutrality? Um, yeah. Uh I think one of the first things that any organization needs to understand is what are the, what is their baseline? So knowing how much, what, what is your footprint? And then understanding, uh, we, we are lucky that our leadership is really, um, really solidly interested in this. They understand that sustainability is the future, that we, they understand that it's the present. Um, and they have not just put a number like we will go carbon neutral by this time. But they're actively building teams. I'm, you know, I'm just an example of it, right? A team was built like, hey, we need to work on this. Go we'll work on this. That's what I focus on. And I have a team of people that focus on. And then there's a monetary commitment to it. I think what's very important is to know where you stand. And once you know where you stand, you need to start working on a. You need to start working on a plan that is uh, that is well supported. Um, I, I get on these some of these roundtables around, you know, with. Uh, different companies and director of sustainability and more or less across the board, whether it's us or whether it's a clothing company manufacturer or, you know, there was one and, or there's a beverage company. Everybody has more or less the same issues. Everybody's trying to figure out where they stand. How do we, how do they get approved? Where's the supply chain coming from? And once we understand, under, once we get our data correct and once we are become fairly serious about what we want to do, and this is not, and understand the sustainability future sooner or later. And I saw this on LinkedIn one time that there was a show, there was a shoe, Adidas shoe or something like that. And, you know, where it has the labels of sizes, it also had a label of carbon footprint. It really said, said I mean, I think, you know, just remember 20, 30 years ago, and I don't, energy star thing that goes on your, the appliance was not there, and now it is. It tells you the rating. Same way, sooner or later, I feel in next few years, you things you buy will have a carbon footprint on it because the audience, the consumer expects it. They want you. They want you know. They this is part of decision. We are seeing. Honeywell also releases this um, this survey that we do quarterly, um, a sustainability index, and you know you can find it online, in which the con. It's just a pulse of what's the happening in the industry. And we are seeing that decision-making has sustainability part of it. It's becoming part of how companies operate. It's part of how consumers consume and all of that. So understanding where you are and, and being very um, real about it, how you can get to where you need to get to, is I think the first two steps that we need to um, work towards. Okay. Um, earlier, earlier in our conversation, you talked about 
piloting some of these projects and and how some of that actually provides value to Honeywell clients. Yeah. Um, so briefly, I know we're, we're, we're near the end of our time, but can you talk about some of the key benefits of, of this initiative, not only for Honeywell, but also for, for Honeywell clients? Yeah. One, one of the things that, uh, that uh, we piloted is, um, uh, like I said, we're talking about real time data. This, this, this project looks at one of our facilities and is helping us give, get the data in real time. So for example, if I am, Looking at uh, my my um, utility consumption, for example, I look at my uh, scope one and two based on utility data that I get, steam or gas or you know car, uh, sorry, electricity and all of that. I'm looking at a data bill that comes to me that's for the past month, and that bill has so by the time I get the bill and start analyzing it, I'm two months in the back, more or less, right? So I'm looking. So if something happened. And I started running my comparison. If something happened, then I have to now go work on a situation that already happened. Now I have to go mitigate and run around. So one of the one of the things that we're working on is getting that real time. And it's a project uh, that we have worked and has worked really well for us. Where we look at the data, it gives us real time, run does some analytics on it, and tell them like, hey, compared to last year's June, this year something happened. What happened? But did COVID hit something, you know, it looks at all of these sets and then, and once it's all got together, we can analyze it. It then integrates with camera systems, infrared camera systems, you know, it integrates with security systems and all of that. So you have one platform where we are able to see all of this. Um, for us, that's very beneficial. We have seen it piloted in a couple of our projects, plans. We are liking how it is, it's working out. Um, we might, to full scale, uh, soon. We haven't really figured that part out yet, but you know, we might do full scale in different facilities, start looking at it. And you know, as it goes with everything else, it starts at the largest ones, start piloting, and then we start seeing a lot more benefits of it than we really thought. Cause once you start getting data, then you start realizing, oh my, oh my gosh, right? There's just so much more that we can do and so much more in the facility that was happening that I didn't know about. You know, because it just gives everybody the same platform. Okay. Well, Mohammed, we're just about at the end of our time together. Do you have any uh, last words for our audience today? Um. Well, this was awesome. Thank you very much for having me on here. This is a pretty uh, great conversation here. Uh, last words. I. It's kind of like you know, this carbon neutrality is here to stay. Sustainability is here to stay. Um, we are, you know, I, I really feel that the success of a company is going to depend on how well they pivot towards this and, in, you know, um, towards carbon sustainable. Uh, if we want to live in a world that is a lot more cohesive and, you know, and mitigate our impact, then it's, it's, it's something that we need to take very seriously and start working on it and, you know, I, I'm so glad to see that a lot more industrial companies or industries are getting into this and asking about these questions. It might be a bit early on for some of them, but hey, I mean, that's where we all start, right? Um, but it is taking on getting momentum, gaining momentum. And, uh, it's, it's pretty, pretty, pretty spectacular to look at some of all, you know, get on phone calls with oil and gas companies that were like, 
all right, how can we become sustainable? It's pretty awesome to look at it. Like, yeah. Aviation fuels, you know, sustainable aviation fuel. You will, you know, you sooner or later. I mean, we already have some products united, but we will fly on fuel that is. Uh, it's renewable fuel, more or less, right? It's sustainable fuel. It's coming from somewhere, and it's great technology change, great change in the industry, great change in the mindset, and uh, I'm, I'm pretty excited about how we go forth in the next five, ten years. Well, well, Mohammed, this has been a fascinating discussion about Honeywell's initiatives, about sustainability and carbon net neutrality efforts. Um, again, our guest today has been Mohammed Hoda. Director of Sustainability and Carbon Net Neutrality at Honeywell. Mohammed, thank you again for, for joining us. This was a fascinating discussion. Um, we look forward to seeing everyone on the next episode of the Sustainability Podcast. Thank you very much for attending today. Thank you, Jeff.